You would bless our hearts. We pray that you would make our hearts open to the things that you have to teach us. We pray that you would make us accept the Jesus that you have presented in the Bible and not our own ideas about him that come from us. We pray that you would give us understanding into his nature and person. We pray that we would understand the person and the work of Jesus Christ that you have revealed in the Bible. And we pray also that we would understand the threats that have occurred to that teaching. In Christ's name, amen. I want to read you something that I found on the internet the other day. This is a quote. He could have helped himself until the point where he said, I commend my spirit into your hands. And at that point, he couldn't do nothing for himself anymore. He had become sin. He was no longer the son of God. He was sin. Do you see the problem? You should, because that is heresy. John would say that this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now in the world already. You see, this TV preacher was speaking from the world, and the world listens to her. I was looking for a sermon illustration, and I said, hey, let me just type in, you know, uh, heresy, da, da, da. I typed in a little bit about what I was looking for, and this is the first thing that came up in, in the Google machine. And I was honestly surprised. I quit breathing when I read this for a little while because it's that bad. I didn't, I didn't expect my first result to be quite so applicable to what I'm saying today, but it was the first thing that came up. It amazed me. Oh, my. So let's talk about what is going on in the book of John. There are these false prophets, as he calls them, in, in the verses that we're looking at today. These false prophets had come into the church, and they were teaching a bunch of stuff that was not true. They were false teachers. And uh, it's quite clear from the text what they were teaching. They said, uh, because uh, John says, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And so what were the false teachers teaching? They were teaching that Jesus Christ had not come in the flesh. They were teaching that Jesus hadn't come in the flesh. And so, it's pretty easy to get a basic idea of what is going on here. We know exactly what these false prophets were teaching, that Jesus didn't come to flesh. During the first few minutes of this sermon, I would like to give you a little bit of background on this sort of thing. And we've talked very, very briefly about this before, both Jeff and I. And previously, I have uh, mentioned that these false teachers, I was just going to call the Gnostics. 
and I didn't really explain why. I didn't really give you a whole lot of background. And so today I feel like it's a good point to stop and for me to give you a little bit of background of what was going on in this part of the world, in religion, back then. And I hope that that is going to allow you to see this verse a little bit more clearly. You, what you have here is a beautiful outline of what is going on, but we're going to attempt to color that in a little bit so that you can see it a little bit better. You know, like when you're coloring things in in kindergarten. So, most scholars say that the problems in this church were related to a belief system that later came to be known as Gnosticism. And there is a little bit of difficulty in pinning all of this stuff down precisely because, uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, one of them is they didn't, they didn't tend to write down dates when they did stuff. You know, when you, the, there is no page at the beginning of the book that gave you a publisher and a date and all that sort of thing. We don't know when a lot of these things exactly were written. Um, and just like so many things in ancient history, it's also hard to say exactly how and why belief systems developed. But I'm going to give you the best picture that I'm able to in a few minutes. The things that were going on in this church that John was writing to are related to some beliefs that came before the time of John, and they probably built up to some other beliefs that came after the time of John. And so most scholars would say that the problems here have their roots in Jewish and Roman mystery religions. Jewish and Roman mystery religions. And so let's talk about the Jewish stuff. How many people here have heard of Pharisees and Sadducees? And well, of course, everybody. Everybody's heard of Pharisees and Sadducees. What about the Essenes? Okay, we have some, oh, wow, that's good. And, and so you hear about the Pharisees and Sadducees in the Bible. But if you were to actually go back in history and you were to go into Israel and look at all of these different Jewish groups, there would be more denominations, if you will, than just the Pharisees and Sadducees. There were the big ones, but there were some other people as well. And there were these mystery religions that existed at, at this time. Uh, well, I should say a little bit before the time of John. Uh, during what is called the Second Temple Period from 516 B.C. to 70 A.D., and these Jewish mystery religions were sort of the internet weirdos of the day. And they believed things that were much, that, that were very strange to the average Jewish person. But they actually became fairly popular. Um, they had a couple of important books, the Ma'asa uh, Merkaba and the Ma'asa Bereshit. And these books emphasized secret things that would give you enlightenment. And so one of them talks about the secret names of God, you know, the ones that are not mentioned in the Bible. And if you became worthy enough, you could learn some of these secret names, and that would give you insight, it would give you an experience of God that other people didn't have. And they didn't really talk about sin so much. That wasn't really their thing. This whole sin and obedience thing, they weren't into that. They were into enlightenment. If you could hear these secret names of God and say them, then you would experience the holy, according to the internet weirdos of the day. They also speculated a lot on the nature of the universe, and they said that there is an upper realm and there is a lower realm of the universe. And, the, uh, and all of these things that are created were not created by God, but they were created by lesser beings, lesser spirits. 
And so this is what was going on in these Jewish mystery religions. Well, the Roman Empire had some mystery religions as well. And they actually are, have, bear some similarities to the Jewish guys. They had these secret rituals that they would do. And so once you became a part and you got advanced enough, you could go in, you could have all these strange secret rituals done and stuff, and that would give you enlightenment. You could learn these secret things, and that would give you enlightenment. You would begin to experience other spirits through these mystery religions. Now, this has nothing to do with the Bible at all. This is just Roman, you know, they were, they were a bunch of idolaters. They were. But this is a, but they still had things that were sort of similar. The secret knowledge, the search for enlightenment, the, the search for uh, knowledge and, and experience by secrecy. And so that's what was going on before the time of John. Let's talk about what happened right after. And that's what I'm going to call Gnosticism proper. Big-time Gnosticism exploded after the time of John, and it became very popular in the 100s, 200s, and 300s. It was one of the most, it was something that spread throughout uh, uh, these, these lands. And it was a mixing of these ideas from the mystery religions, it seems, and Christianity. You take these two things, you mix them together, here's what you get. It's called Gnosticism. And uh, like these Jewish and Roman uh, mystery religions, there's a lot of emphasis on secret things. And there is also something that was very, very important, something that I need to deal with a little bit in detail. One of the central tenets of Gnosticism is that spirit is good and matter is bad. Spirit, good, matter, bad. And so, this chair right here is matter, bad. The curtains over there are matter, that is bad. The spirit, however, is good. And so God is spirit, he is good. And um, you, what are you exactly? Are you spirit or are you matter? Well, here we have someone who is both matter and spirit. There is the material part of her that we can see, and there is the immaterial part that we cannot see. And so she is both good and bad. If she could actually just get rid of that matter part, she would be really good. See? And so this is the sort of things that Gnosticism believed, spirit good, matter bad. Now, that affected how they saw the universe. And so they saw the universe as being created sort of, by a god but he didn't do it directly because he couldn't do it directly because you see the universe itself is all material and so there's no way that, that a good spirit god could create a universe directly and so what did he do so the god um, decided to make a lesser god and then that lesser god made a lesser god and that lesser god made a lesser god and so forth and so on so that you go from the good god all the way down to yahweh the Old Testament God who is evil, according to the Gnostics. So it's making, uh, I on, on the one hand, I hope you're keeping up. On the other hand, I hope it doesn't make sense. Because this is crazy, man. So you have the good God, and then you have the really evil God who is the God of the Old Testament. And he's the one that created you and all the matter and stuff like that. Okay? This is what people believed. They really did during this time period. Now, <laughs> oh my goodness, 
That's some strange stuff, isn't it? Um, so what about Jesus? Because if you're going to mix your mystery religion with your Christianity, you at least have to do something with Jesus, right? Well, who was Jesus, according to the Gnostics? Well, according to the Gnostics, Jesus was God. But what about that body thing that kept walking around and doing all the stuff? Oh, no, 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 no. You don't understand. That was an illusion. Or that was a phantasm. Those are uh, related to the words that they actually used. Or you could probably think of it more as we do today. That was a hologram. And so the Gnostics would say that you thought you saw Jesus walking around and healing people and all that sort of stuff, but you, what you're really seeing was, was not something even that was material. It was just an illusion. What do you think so far? Anybody want to be Gnostic? Well, I don't, yeah, don't have any nods. All right, good. So, why on earth are they even going down this road? Because they were looking at what was popular in the religious world in their day, and they were mixing their Christianity with it. And when, G and when John comes along and he, he realizes that what is being taught in this church is that Jesus had no physical body, you, you, that is what we're talking about. You know, Jesus had not come in the flesh is what they were teaching. That, this is why they were teaching it. John just absolutely freaks out. He's very upset that's, that, that someone would teach that Jesus' physical body is some sort of an illusion. He says that that is the spirit of the Antichrist. And those who are of God certainly would never believe anything that is like that. In effect, he is saying that these false prophets are going straight to hell. He doesn't use quite those words, but that's definitely what he means. And you might say, well, is this even a big deal? I mean, can't we all just get along? I mean, John, we, we all agree that Jesus is some sort of a savior, and that's what's really important, right? Well, let's think for a second about the implications of what these false teachers were teaching and what it really means. So from their point of view... If you were to think about who Jesus was, they would say that he is completely God. Jesus is completely God. And then if you were to say, you know, is he human? They would say, no, he is not human at all. His humanity is merely an illusion. He had no human body. It was just some sort of an apparition. Why might that be important? Why might that be important to the gospel message? Why might that be important to what we understand about the Bible? It is this. You need a human being to stand in your place as a sacrifice in order for your sins to be forgiven. If you want to be forgiven, you need a human being standing in your place. Listen to the author of Hebrews. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified by blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so, blood must be shed. And you might say, well, what about animal sacrifices? Aren't those going to be good enough? I mean, we've, we've done some of that before. Isn't, isn't that going to cut it? Well, he, listen to the author of Hebrews. 
it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And so all of those Old Testament sacrifices were symbolic of what is to come. If you want your sins to actually be taken away, the blood of bulls and goats is not going to do it. So what does it take? Hebrews. Since there, therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, referring to Jesus, likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. What the author of Hebrews is saying here is that you must have a human being standing in your place as a sacrifice if your sins are to be forgiven. John knew that. That is why he got so upset when he found out that these guys were teaching that it was not true. What is Jesus like? Who is Jesus? What, what exactly is he? Can you answer that? If somebody were to come up to you on the side of the road and say, can you tell me about your Jesus? What sort of things might you say? Jesus is God. He is God the Son. John says in his gospel, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And so Jesus is God who created all things. He is completely God. He is 100% God. So let's establish that at the beginning. Jesus is 100% God. What happened 2,000 years ago? Well, he took to himself a true human nature. He was born just like we were. He's you know, a person just like we are. He grew up in, in stature like we did, like this. He ate fish just like we do. He got tired like we do. He had hands like us that you could touch and feel his scars. Does that sound like an apparition? Does that sound like an illusion? Does that sound like a phantasm, a hologram, a hologram or anything? No, no, no. You touch this. And so who is Jesus? He is 100% God, and he is also 100% man, body and soul, united in one person. He is both God and man, united in one person. And if you deny his humanity, or if you deny his divinity, you distort the gospel beyond recognition, and that's why John is so upset. So what happens? I mean, John here has told them clearly, you know, uh, Jesus uh, came in the flesh. And that was the end of it, right? No one ever made that mistake again. Well, no, because Gnosticism flourished after John's day in the 100s to 300s. And it wasn't even just Gnosticism proper. There were all sorts of teachings that went around that said that Jesus was not completely human. And you wonder why. Why on earth did people, why didn't they get it? Why didn't they just read John's letter, understand it, obey it? Why did they keep teaching that Jesus didn't have a body? And I think that the biggest reason is indicated in these verses. It would have been popular with people in the world. It would have been popular with people in the world. People like to believe things that work well with the stuff that they already believe. 
And so if you go around teaching that Jesus is God and man, you're going to teach something that a lot of people are going to have trouble relating to. Just imagine this. Imagine that we hopped into our time machines and we went all the way back to this day. We're talking uh, first century uh, Israel. Or better yet, just first century Rome. Let's go straight into Rome and let's try to talk with a friend of ours who is Roman and you're going to think about how you'd explain Jesus to him. And so you're sitting there, you're talking with your Roman friend and you say, well, let me tell you about Jesus. He is 100% God and he is 100% man. Well, your Roman friend might look at you and say, so is he like a centaur? And it wouldn't be because he's read Harry Potter. This was actually part of Greco-Roman mythology. But, you know, a centaur, it has the, you know, the human up and the horse down the bottom. And you might think to yourself, is that it? Well, it's not exactly, you would say to your friend, it's, it's because a centaur is really half and half, isn't he? He's half man, half horse. But Jesus is different. He is completely man and completely God. It's like he has all the God stuff and he has all the man stuff, and it's yet he's united in one person not two and your friend your roman friend might look at you and say i'm not sure that makes sense to me what would you say there isn't really anything you can easily compare this to is there i mean you don't run into things that are 100 percent one thing and 100 percent another thing it just doesn't happen around us there's nothing you can really compare him to that he can see and touch and so you look at your Roman friend, and you say, well, I guess he's just not quite like anything you've ever seen before. And your friend says, okay, uh, okay, so I can't understand that. Go ahead, keep going, tell me some more about this stuff. And you say, well, God the Son, who is, you know, the infinite God and the God who created everything, he was born as a, as a baby, and, he, and your friend cuts you off. And your friend says, oh, wait, wait, wait a minute. You're, you're saying that there's an infinite God who is all-powerful, and somehow he united himself with a finite, basically powerless baby? And you say, uh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Your friend thinks for a moment, he says, man, that's weird. I, I totally don't get that, but, and I don't think I ever could get that, really. Um, yeah, keep going. And you say, okay. So the reason that he was born as a baby is so that he could live under the very law that he had made as God and obey that law perfectly. And since he was sinless and he was both God and man, he would really be the perfect sacrifice for the sins of men. He accepted the suffering and the death that we deserve because of our sin so that we would not have to suffer and die eternally. And everyone who believes in him has eternal life. And your friend looks at you and he says, bro, I like you and everything, but this is just crazy. This is the craziest thing I've ever heard in my whole life. You know, that stuff about him being both God and man and one person is bad enough, but there is no way, there is no way that a holy God could possibly be involved with suffering. 
Because I know that if there is one thing that's true, it is that victory and power are simply incompatible with suffering and defeat. There cannot be a suffering Savior. What did you say earlier today? He suffered under Pontius Pilate. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles. A normal Roman living at this time in history would have heard the good news of Christ and heard about Jesus and he would have thought the whole thing was completely crazy. I wonder if it's any better today. I have two applications for you. The first of those is that you are not perfect. You are a product of your culture, whether you're from the South like me, whether you're from the North, whether you're black, whether you're white, whether you're American, whether you're Japanese, wherever you may be from, your culture has taught you many things that are true and a few things that are not. Roman culture got a lot of things right, but they would have been horrified at the notion of a suffering savior and they would have looked at that and said this is can't possibly be true because it didn't fit in with what their mom and dad had taught them or their teachers had taught them it wouldn't have it wouldn't have been something they would have seen in the popular plays and so in order to understand things rightly they would have had to reject some of the things that their culture had taught them was true and so John in this passage, he keeps saying how the world is wrong. He is talking about the parts of culture that are in opposition to Christianity when he says the world. There are parts of your culture, wherever it is that you're from, that are in opposition to Christianity. And just like the Romans had their problems, Americans have our own problems that we have been taught things that we have been taught were true are not actually true what has your culture taught you what has your mommy and your daddy taught you you've been taught about things about what is important and what is unimportant you've been taught about things about right and wrong you've been taught things about sex things about money things about values things about gender things about ideals You've been taught lots of things by your culture. What is right and what is wrong? Because a lot of things you've been taught are right. But some of the things that you've been taught are from the world, as John would say. How are you going to figure out your own belief system? How do you fix your own belief system? Because it's not perfect. The only way to do it is to read the Bible, praying that the Holy Spirit would show you the things in your belief system that need to change. That's the only way you're going to get better. Application two, test the spirits. The uh, Jesse Nowski kids have just gone back to college, and I was talking with them about how to find a church, a good church. And uh, I said that really the most important thing that you can possibly do is to find out is to think about how the preacher uses the Bible. If you were to go and you were to ask the average person, what do you like about their preacher, they're probably going to say, well, you know, he's really funny, he tells great jokes. Or they're going to say, he tells these really great stories that I can relate to. You know, because this is the first thing that they think about as to why they, would, they think their 
their uh, preacher's grade. Now, if I were to ask you, what do you like about your doctor, your medical doctor, what would you say? You would say, well, you know, my doctor is so funny, he always tells a joke when I come into his office. Or he told me this story the other, no. You would care a lot more about whether or not he made you better. You would care about whether or not he knows medicine and is able to treat you. You don't care how funny he is because that's not why you're there. You're not there to laugh. You care about your body even though it's going to die one day. Even if you have the very best doctors in the world. You should care at least that much about the fate of your eternal soul. What does your pastor do with the Bible? Is he right? After John wrote his letter, another teaching arose that had the same sort of problems as Gnosticism. It is uh, often called adoptionism our day. And it taught this, that Jesus was a very normal man up until the point that he was baptized. And then when he was baptized, um, God came onto him and possessed him, if you will, and started controlling him sort of by remote control like you might do with a game controller. And uh, so that's what, and so, uh, and so God controlled Jesus' body during his life all the way up to right, right before he was crucified, and that's when the Spirit of God left him. And so it was merely a man that died on the cross. And so, Jesus, and so if you were to ask them who Jesus was, they would say that he was a human, then he was a possessed human, and then he was completely human when he died. Wouldn't that be something that would be so great to hear if you were in Rome? Because you don't have to deal with any of this suffering Savior business. Any good Roman could believe this. But there's a problem with this. It's not what the Bible teaches. It undermines the gospel. In this belief system, the God-man is not on the cross. It was pronounced a heresy later on when Gnosticism was pronounced a heresy. Now I want you to listen to something again, and I want you to listen with understanding. He could have helped himself up until the point where he said, I commend my spirit into your hands, and at that point, he couldn't do nothing for himself anymore. He had become sin. He was no longer the Son of God. He was sin. You see the problem now? Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. 